Hello, I'm Jen Choi. Welcome to Voices of Private Equity, a podcast hosted by ILPA, the Institutional Limited Partners Association. In this series, through candid conversations with the people who power this amazing industry, we go beyond the labels and the headlines. Join me in getting to know the individuals who are shaping the future of private equity. In this episode, we're joined by Neil Randall. Neil's the Managing Director of Private Equity at the Teacher Retirement System of Texas, also known as Texas Teachers. Teachers is the sixth largest pension plan in the U.S., serving 1.6 million educators in the state of Texas. And on their behalf, the trust today manages $160 billion in assets. Neil has made an indelible contribution to the private equity industry over the last several years, and I've personally benefited from his leadership on the ILPA board, most recently as our chair. Neil has been extremely involved over the years in the development of ILPA best practices and standards, not least through contributing to the development of the ILPA principles and ILPA reporting templates. Neil, it's a pleasure to have you here. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So to start, how would you describe, Neil, your journey to becoming an LP? All right. So journey to becoming an LP, I would say, was definitely you know a winding road, not a not a straight line here for sure. So I would I think there's probably been a couple of couple of big turning points to end up on this journey. I'd say one of them was actually just first and foremost realizing I wanted to be an investor. When I first left grad school, my first gig was in corporate finance. I did that for about a year and found myself clearly recognizing something wasn't wasn't working in it. And what I was able to boil that down to was that I I felt like I wasn't as directly contributing to kind of the winning and losing that was going on in the organization and felt a little bit more on the sidelines. And so I realized based on my skill set, the thing that could make me feel the most like that was if I became an investor. So at that time, I, I transitioned and found my way to working for a venture firm and did that for about six years and, and really enjoyed it and, and really was able to kind of validate what I thought, which was that I, I really enjoyed this notion of being able to directly contribute to the success of the organization that I was part of. So that was definitely one big thing was deciding, hey, I want to be an investor. And then I did that on the GP side for a venture fund. And then as that was coming to a conclusion, the next major thing that came up was actually, I guess, really as simple as being open-minded because at that time, going to work for a pension or going to work for an LPE institution was not remotely on my radar. It really wasn't on the radar of too many people in my network, but I lived in Austin and that happened to have a lot of institutional organizations that were investing as LPs. And as I networked and met with people, I had an open mind to it and actually was able to, as far as joining TRS, really got to where I I liked the people a lot. I really liked the vision of where the organization was going. It was kind of in the early stages of going through a transformation and almost a modernization, if you will. And so that was really exciting to me. And so really having an open mind to that notion and getting involved were definitely things that led me you know, down the path to be an LP. And I must say, like, selfishly, <laughs> there was definitely a notion of the venture fund that I was part of. You can imagine it's a sub $100 million venture fund. And the opportunity to go be part of a, a large global platform is a, is a luxury from an information and sourcing perspective on the number of opportunities that are, that are brought to you. So that's kind of the journey. It wasn't like well thought out necessarily, but it was a path of, of a couple of key decisions along the way. And you mentioned the transformation that teachers was going through at the time being you know one part of the draw. And speaking of transformation, you've had a front row seat to a tremendous amount of change in our industry over the last decade plus as an LP. 
some of those changes for the better, some not. So what motivates you to keep showing up to, to stay in LP? What underlies your conviction in private equity as an opportunity set, as an, as an area that's really critical to the teacher's portfolio? The key you know, underpinning of, of, of my conviction around private equity, and I think anytime you're talking to an investor and anytime you have fiduciary responsibility, one of the core things that we're clearly going to talk about every time is around performance. And so performance is why we continue to show up and, and do this. And, and here's what I mean by that is if you look back historically at TRS, private equity has been the top performing asset class across any kind of longer reported uh, time period. And so it's been a key you know, component of why we've been able to deliver the benefits that we have to the public school employees. And when we look at you know, the years ahead, Absolutely, everyone looks at performance and thinks it will be compressed. But across all the, the different folks that we look to to help us with our forecasting of projected returns, which then goes into our asset allocation models, all of them still have private equity at the top of the return spectrum. So when you're working at a place like TRS and you're in the asset class that is being relied on to deliver the highest returns for our beneficiaries, you know, that's a great motivation. And that's something that easily works to get me up to go at it each and every day. So that's, that's super important. I'd also say the most gratifying, and, and this ties back to performance totally, but the most gratifying chart that I, I'll say we showed our board as it relates to private equity would be when we take a look and we look at how much private equity has added to the value of the trust vis-a-vis if we had taken those dollars and, and been invested in a passive public index. So effectively a PME for ourselves at the trust level for what we've done versus a passive index. And that added value of private equity to the trust today is well north of $10 billion. So that's clearly super motivating. That's very tangible. And you can see how that translates to, to value for our beneficiaries. So absolutely performance is, is really important. And I think what else is there or what, what, you know, other than just pointing to the performance and believing that that's always going to be there, what are the key things that we believe about private equity that, that allow us to think that performance can continue to be at the top? First and foremost, I'd say governance. And so I do think that PE has the best corporate governance model that's out there. We all recognize there's areas where it can continue to evolve and improve. But the notion that the board is hundred percent aligned owners and, and totally focused on value creation above all else, I think is a really key component to what allows private equity to be successful. I think it allows our, our boards to focus more on long-term initiatives versus short-term initiatives. So making that investment that can create long-term value is still really core to what private equity does. I think we all know that key to value or key to creating value are the people in the companies. And so they are fully aligned to make sure that they've got the right team in place and fully prepared to make changes when those changes need to be made and have the ability to incentivize those teams properly to drive long-term value. So there's, there's an alignment that, that they can drive with their management teams. I think there's more transformation that's coming. You know, this year, next year, in the short to medium term, we can continue to see more you know, evolution and, and, and even better corporate governance in place. But that's clearly a, a really big thing. And then the last thing I'd say would be the resources 
that private equity is prepared to bring to bear for its companies is still really substantial and allows them to be more committed to their companies as owners than, than most investors. And that can come in the way of bringing in certain functional expertise and people on the ground. Again, that can come back to making sure that you've got the right people on the board that have been there and done that or that have the right network that can help move the company. And then there's things that are, you know, maybe more in their nascency, but are going to be really important around data science, which will help these companies you know, make better decisions, help them find new opportunities to invest in different places, and really continue to advance the knowledge base of the teams that they have working for them. So lots of really good opportunities, I think, still on the, in the model of private equity. And we didn't talk about sourcing. Sourcing is clearly an area that's gotten a lot more efficient, but we do know that there are the occasional transaction that gets set up by the hustle of these teams where they're really trying to find a unique angle for an investment that can create some value as well. So those are some areas around the model that I think are, are still really relevant today and can continue to be built upon and evolve to deliver on good performance going forward. And speaking of continuing to evolve both LPs and GPs, it's a long arc to the asset class. A lot has changed in our industry and there have been, you know, as I said, steps forward, steps back you know, bumps along the road and lessons learned. How do you, in helping your GPs along that evolutionary path, how do you help them evolve? Whether it's in terms of governance or sourcing or the quality of alignment that they have with you or with other LPs, what is the nature of that that dialogue? And how can LPs sort of help GPs move along that path to stronger governance, stronger alignment with their LPs? Yeah, I mean, I think it's as, this is going to sound incredibly simplistic, but it's literally as simple as helping to, in the thought leadership progression. And we as LPs, we're passive in the sense that we're passive investors in funds, but we are there to be either a sounding board or a proactive voice of things that we see that, that could be better. And if you bring a good idea, if you make a good observation, if you see things that can be improved, you know, I've generally found that those, that those ideas are, are welcomed by our partners and really, it's you know kind of our uh, duty if we see things that could be done better to be a proactive part of helping this industry improve. We can't just sit back and rely and expect our partners to do all the heavy lifting on improving. We can be part of that, and I think that's really important. I think that's a lot of what ILPA is doing. I think that's a lot of what many LPs are out there trying to do. But it's really just taking an active engagement and ownership in the direction of this industry and, and being willing to to step out and share that when you see things that could be done better, either with your fellow LPs as a, as a testing board too, or directly with GPs uh, to say, hey, I think this could be done in another way. This is something we need to be paying attention to, et cetera. Just making sure that we're actively engaged. So Neil, to your point that LPs really do have to show up, but not only that, if we want to see positive change in the industry, it's important to figure out where your line is and then to hold that line. Why do you think that's not happening as much as it could? And why aren't more LPs really testing the limits and looking for innovative models that they can introduce into their programs? I'll touch on that in two ways. One would just be like the, the notion of have we generated a better like economic agreement terms, governance, transparency, et cetera. And I think, A, we've done a lot of that over the last 10 years. But if we're being critical, there's a lot of a lot of areas where we haven't made a ton of room, certainly over the last five to eight years. And, and I think about like, what does it require to, to bring about change? And you could think about, well, how much time do you have? Like how long are fundraising periods? What does the supply of capital look like? How much capital is chasing the opportunities? Because 
both of those things are things that lead to more competition and just allow you to have a little bit less opportunity to change. And then the third thing is, what's your level of focus in what you are trying to change? And so we've been in a really strong fundraising environment for, for quite a while. And so the time and the supply of capital are both working against us. And so what's the one thing that we can control? We can control what we're focused on changing. And, and obviously LPs have, have had some wins along the way, but if anything, I'd say like fairly recently, we haven't been as focused on where we would really want to seek out change, particularly I'll say on the economic side. If I look back the last 15 years, I would say we really had an abundance of time and not an abundance of capital, i.e. the competitive dynamics were in our favor. Probably three out of the last 15 years, I'm thinking of 09, 10, and 11, were probably three years where we all could really have a big impact and maybe bleed into 12. But you know, we're talking about 20-ish percent of the time, we have the power in our favor. And that's, I don't know whether that'll change going forward, but I certainly don't want to count on it. So Neil, you stress the importance of all things being equal, focusing on what you can actually control, which is focusing on those select issues that you really care about as an LP. So part of the challenge, of course, has been getting LPs to focus. But if we can get the LPs to focus more on those issues, how do we actually move things forward? One of the things that gets in the way, as you mentioned, is that people have different focus areas. So clearly we have power as LPs whenever we align on certain issues and whenever we're delivering the same message to our GPs. They do move whenever we are aligned on issues and they recognize that the capital demands certain things to be in place. And so it really just comes down to what gets in the way of of us collectively demanding certain things to happen in the industry. And and things that get in the way would just be if we have, if we're not aligned on certain areas. And, And my take would be fine. There's plenty of places that we don't have to agree, but there's probably some places where we all do agree. And around those really center the energy. And then realistically beyond that, it does take one, an understanding of us as an OPA community that there is an openness and a willingness in the right situations to, to work together to accomplish certain things. And so, you know, we as an organization oftentimes will make those outgoing calls. We as an organization are always open to hearing from our peers to see if we can compare notes and see if there's some things that we might be in agreement on. So I think number one is knowing that there's an open from us, from others in the OPA community to exchange notes to see if we can have some common agreement on things to change. And then really beyond that, it just takes effort, demand, leadership, all that kind of stuff in order to to really deliver and execute. And so I think any of us in the LP community are in a position to catalyze efforts, to lead efforts. Certainly those with the larger amounts of capital have the ability to have some of those more direct conversations. So I think we recognize the leadership position that we're in as larger allocators of capital, but it does just take sometimes clearing the plate and making sure that we're putting this high enough on the priority list versus waiting for the next one. So I think it's, you know, making it a priority, being willing to take the leadership position to do it. And then honestly, you know, just knowing that we're there as a peer who's willing to listen to other people's perspective and knowing that we can reach out to others and that there is some common agreement that if we can find the right areas of overlap, that we're willing to put energy towards us. In any given year, we'll find, you know, situations where that happens certainly wish it happened more frequently. And, and clearly this isn't an environment that's super easy in order to get things done on a regular basis. But the more effort we put into it, the more that we can come together and make changes. 
you know, the notion of co-investing is, is definitely changing the landscape of the, you know, the economic situation. So if I just take our situation at TRS, if I look back when I first started, 100% of the private equity NAV that we had was paying full fees and full carry. And fast forward that today, thanks to a board that's been supportive of hiring, growing our team, thanks to being able to recruit a really strong team. Today, we have 30% of our market value in co-investments, which doesn't charge fee or carry. And so we have been able to really transform our portfolio from an economic perspective in that you know, there's a much larger piece of, of our investments that aren't paying fee and carry. And so that's a little bit under the hood and clearly that differentiates. There's plenty of LPs that have you know, even far greater than that, that have either gone to 50% plus or have even like fully intermediated the GPs and, and, and are investing directly. And certainly there's LPs that, that don't co-invest at all. But I just say that as something where like innovation and change has occurred and has shifted that economic relationship. It's just not showing up in like fund terms or PPMs. I think it's fair to say there's a running assumption in our industry that the largest LPs, you know, you you being one of them are somehow bearing the torch or carrying the water for other LPs that may not feel like they've got that same quality of partnership, that some same sort of evolutionary dialogue with the GP. What do you say to that expectation that, hey, Neil, why can't you make it better for the rest of us? I'd say two things. Number one, I do think, you know, at Texas Teachers, certainly that's part of the team that we recruit is that you have to be able to, you, you have to want and desire to take that leadership position and you have to want to, to do things that are going to be pushing, you know, the leading edge. And so that's just part of the DNA, I suppose, of our team. And so we have to really in, enjoy that and like that and, and kind of want that extra responsibility. I would say too, though, would be like, it is, would be hugely off to say that, only a Texas teachers or only some of the other large LPs are the ones that can, that can help to shift and move the industry. I think, you know, there's an aggregation of voices that when things are raised, like good ideas are clearly not just resident to Texas teachers, clear, you know, or other large LPs, great ideas are, are out there across the LP community. And so being willing to voice those and let them be heard, be it directly with GPs, be it at other LPs at different industry events or conferences and such. I think, I think just being willing to be a part of the conversation, be it a small LP or a large LP, is what I would encourage the most. And just trying not to take that easy path, assuming somebody else will be part of it, because our collective voices, large and small, are what will move the industry, and we need everybody fully engaged. To the theme of innovation and, and being a leader and stepping into that role at Texas Teachers, You've done some things that other LPs credit as pretty innovative. An early mover in building out your co-investment capability. I know that's still a work in progress and evolving and establishing strategic partnerships with, with certain GPs, KKR and Apollo. I've seen your approach described as the Texas way. I don't know if the Texas way encapsulates all of that innovation, but what does it mean to you? Yeah, so we, we use the Texas way we have used for a lot of, uh, a lot of different things within our walls. It could be certain processes. It could be like how we dialogue with our partners. And so admittedly, it's used in a lot of different, in a lot of different ways within Texas teachers. But I'd say like, to me at the core of it, it's really about pushing the innovation curve for us at Texas teachers to, to move from being a best in class, if you will, U.S. pension to really trying to move into that realm of being a world-class investment organization and doing that, you know, clearly to try and benefit the teachers 
and public school employees. So, you know, with a focus of doing that for our beneficiaries, but that's, you know, really at the core of what we're trying to do. So you can't do any of that without having a really supportive board that's in place. And so we've been lucky enough to have a supportive board that's been willing to give us the runway to do some of these things, in certain cases, push us to do certain things. But that's really critical. It's also really critical that as far as the Texas way it goes is, is that you're building a really strong culture and that you're recruiting really strong people. So I think those two things are, are really core to anything that we can do, be it, as you mentioned, you know, relatively early in the, in the notion of building out a co-investment program and having it the size that, that it is today and, and contributing as much as it does to our returns today. We did set up the strategic partnerships that you alluded to we also, I believe, were the first U.S. pension to, to open up an office outside of the U.S. by doing that in London. And that's we think, is going to be really impactful to our beneficiaries. We think it gives us the opportunity to be in the same time zone with, with our partners, which will allow us to do more in the areas of co-investment, which we think impacts our, our bottom line. And you don't get to do any of that if you're not interested in pushing the curve on, on innovation, if you're not willing to to look at problems as things to solve versus just identifying problems that are out there on the landscape. Because there's problems doing anything. And so we, we really think that like the Texas way is just kind of trying to push that innovation and continuously improve what we're doing. And I'd even, you know, I applied a little bit also to our desire to be involved in the industry and really be one of the forces for good along with many other LPs. So be that sitting on advisory boards or getting in, you know, really involved with ILPA. We've got a lot of folks that have been involved historically with principals. Uh, we've got folks on, on the DNI work that you're doing. We have folks involved with education. And so these are all really, you know, important things to us as part of the Texas way is seeking to try and help lead in the industry alongside of, of many other LPs. And so that's, that's a big part of the Texas way as, as well. And then, you know, Texas has, I suppose we, we all have a lot of pride in what we do. So here in Texas, there's state pride around, Everything from the schools that you go to, to the barbecue that, the, that you eat, to high school football, to whatever. And so I'd say we certainly take a lot of pride in, in trying to represent our, our beneficiaries in the best way possible, which is a kind of a unique opportunity. So speaking of your beneficiaries, um, if we think about those who might, maybe they're paying closer attention to some of the more negative headlines about our industry. Maybe they have doubts about private equity. Maybe they don't understand it. What would you say to them? Well, you know, I mean, I think, Jen, like, first of all, what I'd say is like, do listen to those doubts and you do, you know, hear some of those challenges. And I would say, like, I think you're silly to not acknowledge, you know, some of, of where that's coming from. And, you know, me as somebody that believes a lot in the asset class and invested, like, I can acknowledge for sure, like, there's a large fee drag in this industry. And it's material, it's a substantial component of, of what we do. And the optics of that are sometimes difficult. You know, we can do better in areas around uh, DNI and, and ESG. Thankfully, we I think we see that, you know, that's been a, a long journey for many. And, you know, I think we could say today that it has, you know, as much momentum and desire to improve as it ever has before. But obviously, it's a, it's a long journey and, and not a sprint. But we're seeing those improvements. And there's reason to believe that, that that will continue to do better. And so, and, you know, frankly, like the returns overall for private equity are, are compressing. Now that's true about all equity returns in general, but certainly they're compressing and illiquidity premiums are, are questioned more today. So those are all things that you have to, I think, acknowledge with people that look at this asset class from the outside. But I, you know, I think the, the counters to all that would be on the fee notion. Like I've never had a CIO ask me for what our gross returns are. I've never trumpeted our, our gross returns. So everything that we look at is net of all the fees and expenses. And if that doesn't make sense and that doesn't work, then we have to take a really hard look at it because that's 
always front and center for, for what we're doing. We really do strive for, for alignment. So it's worth noting that our GPs are putting substantial amounts of their own, monies in, in, own money in these deals. And that, so we are seeking to, to have that alignment with them. As I mentioned, we're seeing real investments in ESG and DNI across the board. And I think really importantly, and I touched on this a little bit up front, but just the notion that this isn't an industry that is content with its history and that it's seeking to evolve and it's seeking to really focus on the areas around value creation and being you know, companies that, that are acting and working in a way that we can all be proud of in addition to generating really strong returns. And so that continues to be a big focus point as well. And then the last thing I'd say, which you know, sometimes gets a little bit overlooked, and the stewards of the capital that are allocating in private equity, all of the, the members of ILPA and, and other LPs beyond that, these are folks that are really focused on generating the best net returns on having strong alignment with our, with our GPs, ensuring that there's good governance between the GPs and the LPs, and really trying to make sure that, that this you know, asset class is able to, to deliver on strong net returns going forward and really concentrating the dollars with those that are doing it the best. And I think you see that out there in, in the world today of even in a really in an environment with tons of supply of capital, there are kind of the haves and the have-nots. So the stewards of the capital that are out there are seeking to allocate and line up behind kind of the best performers and those that, that we want to work the most with and that kind of align with our values. All excellent points from your mouth to beneficiaries' ears, we hope. <laughs> um, a few final questions just about you to turn it back to you. I've had the benefit My of favorite have, topic, right? <laughs> I've had the benefit of having you as a, a bit of a tour guide in Austin. So I've I anticipate a couple of answers to this question, but what two or three things are must experience for first timers coming to Austin, your your hometown? Well, you're spot on. You're gonna know a couple of these for sure. So Barn Springs is is an air is a place in, in Austin that's really special. It's kind of I don't know if they call it the jewel of Austin or whatever, but it's a natural springs right outside of, of downtown Austin. It is incredibly critical in the in the hot summer months, such as I'm going through right now, that it's got you know year-round kind of 68 degree Fahrenheit sort of water is an awesome place to just to to go and cool off in, in the heat of the summer. You have to go, and even if you're if you're a dancer or not a dancer, uh, you got to go to the Broken Spoke and give a shot to learn how to two-step. I am definitely not uh, a pro at it, but I love doing it when people come to town and it's fun to, to get out there and, uh, and they have lessons. So you can go get lessons and then, uh, and then see what the, who the pros are in doing it. And then of course, you don't come to Austin or to Texas in general and not try some of the, the good barbecue here. So Austin barbecue is fantastic. So many really good places. Your, your key question in choosing your barbecue is the, the intersection of the amount of time it takes to get the food versus like how good it is. And if you do come here, you can reach out and I give you a couple that kind of like optimize around the time quality, but there, there are some that you can uh, either get it really fast. And it might not be quite as good or you can wait all day and it's going to be really great, but there's some that are almost as good and get there a little faster. I love the analysis on how to pick your barbecue spot. Got to, yeah, <laughs> got to make the most of that time. And if you're an LP, you know, if you're an LP and you come to Austin for, for meetings and if you happen to be a walker or a jogger, like you can always walk down to, to the lake. And there's, I think that's an awesome way to start the day for people if they're here for work too, is, is to be able to get down and do their morning walk or their morning jog or their evening walk or jog uh, down at Town Lake Trail. So that's my quick tour of We could do a whole podcast, just Neil's, Neil's top right. picks for Austin. 
What, what do you like the most about being an LP? And, and what do you maybe like the least? Liking the least is going to be, that's going to be a tough one. The, the liking the most part about being an LP, I'd say, I mean, I've talked about this a ton, so I don't mean to talk about it too, too much. And honestly, I didn't have this impression when I started, but being in the investment realm and being able to have a mission and being really close to that, to that mission. So as an investor to be able to invest on behalf of the educators and public schools in the state that you live in and do that in a really direct sense. I know our GPs get to do it and they get a broad swath of it, but like we get a really direct connection to that. And I think that's really special. And I didn't, you know, I honestly didn't have that in mind when I first started in this, you know, kind of 12, 13 years ago, but it became really apparent to me pretty quickly when you talked to people about, about where you worked. I mean, I've had this sound kind of crazy, but I've had, uh, you know, teachers or coaches that I've, that I knew from growing up and they'll, you know, reach out and tell me, Hey, I'm going to be in the benefits office today. And, you know, I get the opportunity on occasion. And this is not like this doesn't happen every month or something, but on occasion, you can actually go by and, and spend time with these folks. And it just, you know, brings it to light, like what you're, what you're doing and, and really the, the privilege to have a job that's got a, a real service component to it. So that's definitely something that I didn't know that I would really appreciate. And I certainly do. I think obviously the in any career or profession that you choose, the people are, are a huge part of it. So lucky to work with really great people at TRS, lucky to have an incredible community in the, in the ILPA community to interact with. And I'd say like when somebody pings me out of the ILPA community and says, hey, I want to talk about this GP or this topic, like that's a highlight of my week. So I think that's a really you know, nice piece about you know, being an LP and then just the breadth of stuff that we see from, you know, we're global investors. So US, Europe, Asia, we're investing in funds across all sectors. We're looking at co-investments. I have the opportunity to sit in investment committees and hear what the real estate team is, is recommending and, and investing in the infrastructure team, hedge funds. So you just have such a breadth of, of things that you see as an LP. And some of that's specific to, to Texas teachers, but, but nonetheless, I think it, it, it holds true for a lot of folks. So that's what I really probably love the most. What do I like some of the least about being an LP? I am, you know, this wasn't true the first few years. I have to admit, like, I'm not great at going to the annual meetings and sitting in a crowd of 200 to 500 people and effectively kind of being in class. That that level of lack of interaction and direct engagement is actually, that's pretty tough on me. And is it super energizing? The advisory boards and things of that nature, or, or just spending time, if it's not an advisory board, but just spending time with the GPs when they're around, that's still a lot of fun. But some of just the, the annual meeting theater is uh, is probably not my favorite thing. Last question for you. What would you be doing, Neil, if you weren't an LP? I'm going to jump out of the realm of just saying I'd be a GP or just saying I'd do it. So I'm going to go with my favorite show, probably on a week-to-week basis that isn't on Netflix, like is 60 Minutes. So anybody that's on my team knows I'll reference stories that come off of 60 Minutes. I love the show. And if I could take that role of being like one of the lead story tellers. I think that would be awesome. And so why is like, I, they get to see such an incredible amount of different things, be it really unique people, uh, innovative technologies, areas of injustice, geopolitics, everything across the spectrum. They get to find some of the most interesting and compelling things going on in the world. And they get to go like research that interact with the people that are doing it and like synthesize a story out of it. And so I'd love to do that. I think it'd be a ton of fun. I'm not sure I've got exactly what it takes, but I, if, if I could do that job, I would, I would take a, I'd take a cut out. I think it'd be a lot of fun. That sounds amazing. I think you hit on one of mine as well. <laughs> I love it. 
Well, Neil, this has been terrific. Thanks so much for spending some time with me today. Really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it and appreciate all that you and, and the whole ILPA team are, are doing on behalf of LPs. Uh, I know you're not seeking a commercial here, <laughs> but nonetheless, it, it is, uh, it's always good to, to say thank you for, for the hard work that you guys are doing to help us as an industry evolve and to be best informed about all the things going on. It's amazing sometimes the things that you guys find that I might not realize that I'm living in, in the world. So really appreciate all that, that you guys are doing. Thanks, Neil. 